This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. The amazing J.C. Bold will now begin the proceedings. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Kyle Rosdahl. Look, J.C. Bold is amazing. I'm just saying it. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where none of us is as smart as all of us. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us, everyone. It is Tuesday, October the 31st. Happy Halloween to those who celebrate me, not Kai. Anyway, today. <laughs> well, thank you for the shade to begin the program. Oh, my god. You know, it, it's, it's Halloween. It's spooky, so we got to keep it shady. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, uh, today is our deep dive show, and we are going to talk about another, hopefully not so scary thing, a climate solution. Uh, It's hydrogen, potentially, one of the most abundant elements in the universe and produces no carbon emissions when it's burned as fuel. The Biden administration, as you uh, may know, if you've read in detail all those laws, which I uh, have not done, but uh, uh, there are producers on this podcast who do that for us uh, and they tell us what's in it. Anyway, the Biden administration is making huge investments in clean hydrogen. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, some of the risks, some of the challenges, some of the opportunities. Here to make us smart about this is Emily Pontecorvo. She's a staff writer at Heat Map News covering the transition to clean energy. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So... Uh, I guess we have to go to the periodic table here. Uh, What is clean hydrogen and is there such a thing as dirty hydrogen? Yes. So most of the hydrogen that we use today is dirty hydrogen. And we really don't use it for that many things. Um, the, The kind of two main uses for hydrogen is in fertilizer production and in oil refining. But the hydrogen that we use in those processes, it comes from natural gas. And um, even though, like you said, hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, it's typically part of some other molecule like methane gas or water. And so you have to kind of wrench it off of that other molecule. Hmm. And today we get it all from natural gas in a process that releases carbon emissions. So how do we get clean hydrogen? What, what's the difference? Does it just we pull it out of the air, figuratively speaking? <laughs> Not quite. Um, there's there's kind of two main pathways to do this. One is to kind of keep going with this conventional route, um, getting it from natural gas, but we can capture the emissions that are produced in the process. And then the other pathway involves um, electricity and water. So water, H2O, you basically zap the molecule and you can separate hmm. the molecule and your only emissions are, you know, oxygen. Hmm. So like we said at the top of the show... We have the Biden administration putting like $7 billion towards the development of these clean hydrogen hubs. What does that actually look like in practice? Yeah, I think the word hub might bring to mind this like very concentrated zone of activity. But the hubs are more like regional ecosystems. They many of them span multiple states and they kind of have three main elements. There are hydrogen production facilities. There's going to be different ways to transport the hydrogen. And then there's also different kinds of customers who will ultimately use that hydrogen. Um, like I was saying earlier, we don't really use a lot of hydrogen today other than these kind of specific cases. And um, the, the stuff that we do use is dirty. So the hubs are sort of like these laboratories of innovation where we're going to test out these different cleaner ways to make hydrogen. And then we're also going to test out some new uses for it, um, like using it in industrial uh, facilities that require really high heat. 
What about cars, right? I mean, and the only reason I know anything about this is this is a much longer story than we've got time for. But for a lot of reasons, I had to go to a planning commission meeting in my town about eight or 10 years ago. And the agenda item before my agenda was a hydrogen refueling thing at the local uh, gas station. And I mean, I've lived in this town for a very long time, and I can count on the fingers of one hand the number of cars I've seen pull up to that hydrogen fueling station. So can we do transportation with hydrogen? What else can we do that's going to make a difference? Yeah, you know, this is this is one of the debates about hydrogen is what are we going to use it for? And I think, you know, listeners might remember that for a long time there was this conversation around hydrogen cars. And what we saw is that batteries kind of won that battle. They're just cheaper and more efficient and um, you know, Tesla kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. won the day there. Yeah. But we still <laughs> might use it in other forms of transportation. Like if you think about um, really heavy duty trucks, long haul trucking or airplanes or marine shipping, big cargo ships where batteries might um, play a role there. But for a lot of those, um, it might just, you know, it might be more efficient to mm-hmm. use a fuel. But... <sighs> I guess, why can't we use it more if it is such a clean fuel? Yeah, the thing is that, it, it, so it's it's this sort of like flexible, like m- many people call it a Swiss army knife of decarbonization because it's kind of like you can just swap it in for fossil fuels in, in all these different uses. But the problem of thinking of, of it that way is that it takes so much energy to make hydrogen that you really only want to use it in cases where you don't really have any other options. So, you know, for instance, like we could use it to power a car, a sedan, or you could use it um, to burn in your boiler at home to produce heat. But there are other options that are cheaper and more efficient for those things like, you know, just like electric cars and electric (laughs) heat pumps. And so, then you really have these other parts of the economy where we just don't really have those other solutions. Like um, in a steel plant, we use coal today for these like chemical reactions that we need to produce steel. And hydrogen is one of the leading kind of options to replace that. Imagine a, a graph or a chart of of renewable fuels, right? And you got you got solar, you got wind. Um, you, you've got, it's not renewable. Don't at me, everybody. You got nuclear that's got to be in there, right? Relatively speaking, what's the size of the bar that represents hydrogen as opposed to like solar or, or wind? Do you mean for like way well, in the like, future? When well, we no, I mean, a... I mean like today, cause today it's like bupkis, right? So in 10 years, what's it going to yeah. be? Gosh, I mean, I don't know. I think I think that's the main question that right. these okay, well, that's are, fair. are seeking I, to find I, out. I, I yeah. don't know. It's always a good answer. I, you know, totally. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the things about this industry is that you have some people who who think that we'll use it for for so many different mm-hmm. things, and other people who who say no, we need to use it in these very sort of precise ways. And so, mm-hmm. you know, which which of those theories will sort of win out? Right. I think is is how we'll answer that question. Yeah, there are. I mean, not everyone loves the idea of using more hydrogen and. You know, especially since we get so much of it from fossil fuels. I mean, what how big is the pushback against this in terms of really integrating it into our, you know, clean energy future? 
Yeah, it's, you know, there's really risks at every step of the way with hydrogen. And I think that's why we have this pushback. It's, you know, hydrogen itself is a greenhouse gas. So first of all, we just need to make sure we don't leak it into the atmosphere. Um, But as we talked about, there's risks with how we make it and how kind of carbon intensive that process is with how we use it because it requires so much energy to produce. And, you know, there's also like if we're making hydrogen from water and electricity, that's a lot of water that will be required in that process. So I know that people out in the West in places like New Mexico are really worried about the water use um, from the process. Where is the United States global? Well, let me uh, let me ask a better question. What's the global situation with this? Are there other countries, other places where hydrogen is used more or are we globally just trying to figure out our way through this new ish technology? Yeah, I, the the EU, the European Union and the United Kingdom have been a few steps ahead on this. They've kind of already been setting up demonstration plants using hydrogen in new ways and producing it in new ways. And in the European Union, they've actually um, already kind of gone through a process where they've created really um, defined rules around what clean hydrogen actually means. Like, how do we know that this stuff is clean? And so I think right now, there's a debate in the U.S. about whether we want to kind of imitate those same rules and um, adapt them so that hydrogen kind of clean hydrogen means the same thing in different mm-hmm, places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is all this investment from the Biden administration enough to really make this technology cost competitive? It's a hard question. I think right now you hear some energy companies that are starting to invest in hydrogen say they need more support and they're kind of asking for more relaxed rules around what clean hydrogen is because they're saying, you know, with very tough rules, um, they won't be able to make it cost competitively. There's other analyses from academics and from kind of um, environmental groups that find that, you know, these subsidies that we have today really are enough to make this competitive with with fossil fuels. So what's the biggest drawback with hydrogen, do you think? Hmm, that's a tough one because like I said, there's sort of like these risks at every step of the process. Right. But at the end of the day, I, you know, it's it's very clear. I think to me, it's very clear that we need a way to make clean hydrogen, if only just to decarbonize like the the processes that we already use it for today. Like if you think about fertilizer, we're going to need to keep making fertilizer for years to come to, to yeah. feed a growing <laughs> world. And if if we can make enough clean hydrogen to decarbonize that process, that will mm. be you know a big step. Right. Emily Pontecorvo uh, is a staff writer at Heatmap News, where she covers and has clearly gone in depth on, because I learned a bunch of stuff today, uh, the transition to clean energy. Emily, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Man, complicated. It is. I actually, even though I I, I did my own story on this, this, this conversation kind of amplifies that I still don't know how I feel about this at the end of all of it, you know? Um, but I suppose there's no perfect solution, but you end up needing a mix of everything. I think that's a huge point, actually. There is no perfect solution, right? It's going to take it's going to take a, a a menu item of or a menu rather a menu, not just one item uh, of solutions to get us out of the jam that fossil fuels has gotten us to, have gotten us into, you know. And a menu like just I'm trying to stick with this metaphor a menu with a lot of different foods 
in different portion <laughs> sizes, and not all of them are the best yeah. nutritional value. Oh, that, I like that. No, that makes sense. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we well, let us know what you think in your own metaphor for our climate solutions or specifically what you think of hydrogen as a climate solution. Or maybe if you are, were one of the few people who had one of those hydrogen cars, uh, I'd love to hear how that went. Um, our number is 508-827-6278, also known as 508-UB-SMART, or you can email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. We will be right back. back and if you want to know why i'm chuckling well you're gonna to have to check out your social because we're gonna put some video up there for halloween that's all i'm saying <laughs> oh uh, yes oh so um i don't know why but um my script is going crazy my and script I can't, has gone uh, completely blank so we're just gonna wing it and assume that we as the trained audio professionals that we are uh can muddle our way through this so first of all yes. we'll do some news what's your news item <laughs> My news item is that uh, CVS and Walgreens, it, they are having yet another round of walkouts by their pharmacy staff. And this has been, you know, sort of the other labor story of the summer that I haven't quite been able to kind of get my finger on. But it's something that I think most of us have seen where the pharmacies are, they have shorter hours, everything is kind of very sparse. But on the other hand, the... Um, you know, we've paid so much attention to sort of these labor unions and the UAW strikes mm -hmm. and, and what big labor is doing, but not so much attention to these pharmacy strikes because a lot of them are not unionized. They are very educated. And some of the stories that I've, you know, done about this, there's a very narrow pipeline, tons and tons of jobs. But on the other hand, it's it's a really it's a grind for these folks. It's really a grind. And they say that their companies are not staffing appropriately. The wages aren't good and that the companies need to improve working conditions. And this affects everybody, because if you have to go get a prescription, this this makes it harder. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, OK, here's mine. It's a little bit of a of a of a recap, if you will, with a with a potentially tragic note at the end. Senator Tommy Tuberville, the senior senator from Alabama, who uh, listeners to this podcast will know, has been blocking military promotions and advancement for about 300 general and flag officers for the past like four months now. Uh, he is still doing it. And here's one reason why it matters. The commandant of the Marine Corps General Eric Smith, who was confirmed about four weeks ago, maybe five. Finally. Uh, after after the Senate uh, did some maneuvering. Uh, he had what appears to have been a heart attack two days ago. And while correlation is not causality, General Smith has been working two jobs because the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps, who does a huge part of the leadership of that branch of the military, is vacant because Senator Tuberville has not deemed it appropriate to fill that slot. So now the number three guy in uh, headquarters Marine Corps is running the place while the number one guy recovers from what seems to have been a heart attack. And we just need to acknowledge that people are working extra hard because Senator Tuberville refuses to budge. That's what I got. They still haven't found a way around that, have no. they? I thought there was no. something in progress to... 
for, for they're they're talking about another senatorial maneuver for Admiral Franchetti, who's going to be the CNO, yeah. and uh, the guy who's going to replace the general who's now the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, the Air Force guy whose name escapes me. Anyway, so yeah, there's two more waiting. And then behind them, there's 300 more who actually, t- for as important as the heads of the service are, right, it's actually the ones in the two stars who actually get things done out in, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to say this, the battle space. Sorry. Uh, well, and there's so many of them right now. Right, right. right. So all of these holdups are happening as we increase the number of I hesitate to use the word fronts because I know we're not like troops on the ground officially in many of these places. But we are engaged, deeply engaged in multiple conflicts. And everybody's keeping an eye on Taiwan as well or trying Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. with strained resources. And we we need these folks. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. So General General Smith is is, uh, recovering uh, near as I know. All right. Well, Uh, we wish him the best. There we go. Uh, All right, so that is it for the news. Let us move on to the mailbag. Hi, Kai and Kimberly. This is Godfrey from San Francisco. Jesse from Charleston, South Carolina. And I have a follow-up question. It has me thinking and feeling a lot of things. All right, so today was episode two of our uh, Climate Solutions uh, podcast. The first one we did was on nuclear power and energy in the United States. We asked you what you thought, uh, and here's one of your responses. Hey, this is Chris from Minneapolis, Minnesota. One thing I wish that had been discussed was um, nuclear waste and what happens to that and what happens with the decommissioned nuclear plants. I feel like that's going to be a big question if we build all these plants in uh, 50, 80 years. They're no longer producing. So thanks for making this work. Yep. Totally fair point. Very good point. We should have asked about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder, and maybe we can get a follow-up from our guest about, you know, as the technology has improved, has the solution for storage of nuclear waste improved? And obviously there's a history of that waste being stored in communities that didn't have much say about where it went. Um, But in terms of the decommissioned nuclear plants, I also wonder if there's a way to bring those, like... It turned them into something else because since, as the guest was telling us, a lot of these nuclear plants are smaller than they used to be, mm-hmm. um, maybe they do have either a longer lifespan or different uses. Um, and But I get the older ones, you know, are uh, problematic. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's hear one more. Tim called in to tell us about his recent vacation. Just got back from my first vacation in a place that Kimberly might be familiar with, St. Louis, and had a wonderful time. Went to the Yay. Arts Museum, the History Museum, the Blues Museum, and I was walking down to the Arch when I passed the Economy Museum at the St. Louis Fed. Yeah, buddy. So, of course, I had to go in and hit the gold bar. Kimberly, I can't believe you haven't gotten Kai to go there. Thanks to my <laughs> MMS marketplace <laughs> listening, I knew what they were talking about, and they yeah. threw out acronyms like FOMC. Nice. Thanks, as always, <laughs> for making us smart. My work here is done. My work here go. is done. That's awesome. I That's have great. to say, I actually have not been to the Economy Museum at the St. Louis Fed, but I'm I'm going home for for uh, Thanksgiving. Maybe I should uh, swing on by. <laughs> pop over on my swing vacation. On by. All right. Before we go, as we always do, this week's answer to the Make Me Smart question, what is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? Here you go. This is Tim from Austin. What I thought I knew that was later wrong about all stems from the tradle game. I did not know just how pervasive petroleum products are as an export from countries both large 
and small, mm-hmm. always knew that certain countries and regions heavily relied on petroleum products for exports. Places like the OPEC nations throughout Africa, South America, Russia, the U.S., and so forth. The Bahamas having refined petroleum as their number one export was something that very much surprised me. Come to find out, many of these smaller island nations have petroleum products as their primary export. Thanks for making me smarter through playing games. So here's That's yeah, interesting. here's the trick with Tradle. The thing you got to look at when you see so Tradle. I think we talked about in this, this on the pod, right? Mm-hmm. Tradle is the game yeah. like Wordle except for trade, right? And they give you a they give you a, a country. They don't tell you what the country is, but they give you its total exports, and then they break it down by sector. And the catch is, you got to look at total dollar value of exports, and that'll tell you some clue as to where they are. So if it's like a, uh, you know, trillion dollar economy and the biggest export is oil, well, then you look and it's like Saudi Arabia or one of those guys. But if it's a, you know, a $200 million economy or a $100 million economy and the biggest export is refined petroleum, well, then you start looking at the smaller ones. The, yesterday was Turkmenistan, which is not a big economy, but had um, uh, petroleum gas as its biggest export. So that's how I finally came up with that answer in three, by the way, for those of you who did trade all yesterday. Sorry, spoiler alert also. Sorry, spoiler alert. I don't think I would have gotten okay. that all in right. three. Right. I wonder, though, just because it's cheaper to import, import, like I'm trying to think about why that is. Is it because the oil rigs in the, you know, Gulf of Mexico um, are looking for local refining in the area about the Bahamas and things. I'm, I'm trying to understand this a little so, bit better. So it's about value added, right? If you get mm-hmm. in crude oil and you add value, remember it's a dollar amount thing in Tradle, you add value and then you can export the refined petroleum product, then mm-hmm. that's that's your value add in the supply chain. I don't know the specific refinery situation in the Bahamas, but probably a lot of the pipelines somehow wind up and a lot of the tankers probably sign up, somehow wind up going through there on their way to places outside the Gulf of Mexico, right? Because it's you look at a map and that's where it is, outside the Gulf of Mexico. Why don't you like Halloween? Oh, I don't like being... Well, so two things. Uh, mm-hmm. And this, this goes back to when I was a little kid. I was like f- four and we were living in England and my mm-hmm. mom dressed me up as a police officer, an English Bobby, and we went to a birthday party or something. No, it must have been a Halloween party or whatever the mm-hmm. hell they celebrate over there. Fancy dress party. Yeah, yeah whatever it was. <laughs> and and for whatever reason, it, it just turned me off the whole dress up thing. And I literally have not since then dressed up. Uh, so that's the one thing. And then also there's the scary part, which I think we've documented previously. Yeah, on we've talked about okay, that. Thank you. Very Are much. you handing out candy? Today? We are going, I've told you about my brother-in-law, right? My brother-in-law is in the Imagineering business, and so he does his house oh. to the bleeping nines for Halloween. So every year we just go over there, and, and it makes it it makes it makes easier on us, and the kids love it, and, you know, whatever. And of course, now all the kids are grown. But, yeah, so that's where we're going. Okay we're going anymore. to my brother-in-law's, and he, to this day, he's my age, which is to say a, a, <clears throat> a very young man. Um, yes, very young. Very young man. Uh, he, to this day, relishes Halloween and gives out candy to the kids and it's it's a great treat for him so that's good i just go watch him have fun and that's it oh that's sweet there you go i i want everyone to appreciate my commitment to the cause today if you're not listening the costume sorry if you're not looking at this on social media later and you're listening the costume is medusa there's a lot of Uh, fake snakes in my hair and i put on snake nails which they're really long and they got little snakes on them and stuff like that and snake skin and man i do not 
understand how people exist with nails this long oh, yeah, no. in their everyday lives. Like, totally. I was trying to write a message in the Slack channel. I'm trying to use the pads <laughs> of my fingers. I ended up using my knuckle to type because I couldn't actually write with these things on. Wow. So. Wow, wow, flaws. wow. Commitment to the cause. Commitment, to, Commitment the cause. to the cause. Anyway, if you are committed to the cause of answering our Make Me Smart question, which you should be because it's a lot of fun. Why not? Um, let us know. What is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? Or if you want to recommend somebody who you think should come on the show and answer the question because, you know, they may be cool. Uh, our number is 508-827-6278, also known as 508-UB-SMART. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg. Seeker Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program, I started early, sorry. Today's program was engineered by Jay Siebold. The fade threw me off, Jay. <laughs> Becca Weinman's going to mix it down later. Neela Farshabandi is our intern. Maybe Becca will fix it. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. And Marketplace's vice president and general manager is Neil Scarborough. So do you have, are you going to parties tonight? Is that the deal? Or are you just popping around? A single party. Just one party. Right. But I will also walk around looking like this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>